Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Dirty Doggy. Today we're talking a movie from 2023 available in theaters. American Fiction. Yay! Cord Jefferson. His first feature. First feature as a director. He's been around writing. I'm stoked for him and I'm stoked for Jeffrey Wright. Yep, I'm a little bit worried that this movie will be the Nightmare Alley of the year in that it will draw lots of praise and then won't do anything at the Academy Awards. I think in part because American fiction is a terrible title. Right up there with American Beauty and American Animals. I also considered the title The Unbearable Weight of Massive Irony. Black Fiction. Yeah, uh, Dirty Doggy was up there, and also, and I decided the best title would have been Smash to Black. How about Fuck? Right, which was the working title of this movie during production. I guess Fuck Fiction wouldn't have worked. <laughs> then, then someone said, okay, but what happens if you Google Fuck the Movie, and what do you think you're going to get? How are people going to find your movie? Maybe something tamer, when they ended up choosing American Fiction. I agree. Kind of a throwaway of a title, but I want Cord Jefferson's trailer editor because damn, that was a good trailer. I'm glad I didn't see that trailer because I was happy to not know what this movie was about. And I was like, whoa, I didn't know Thelonious Monk was, is he not a musician yet? (laughs) Then I also thought maybe he's not, maybe isn't there, I think there's a contemporary artist named Thelonious Monk. So you thought it was the biography of Felonius Monk? Right, who was like maybe a black writer. And I say a black writer. What's it, what do you call a black writer? It's a writer, right? No, um, because he wrote about, he wrote black studies. That's what it was. Oh, right. And and I thought maybe, maybe one of the, <laughs> these musicians <laughs> was a writer first. I think because Brian and I both had a little context going in, we both thought it was a little bit of a slow burn getting to him actually writing the novel fuck. The yeah. Novel, what was it called before? My it Pathology? It was my, my Pathology. Which I don't even know what that means. But it, we felt like it took a, a while to get to him writing My Pathology. And then once he did. Yeah, and when it came, it was such a, it was such a, that was the movie for you that you were waiting for. It was a turn. I was like, what? Now we're fully descending into this weird meta parody a la... The Incredible Weight of Massive Talent. Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. The Nicolas Cage movie. We're covering American fiction because uh, Jeffrey Wright was un- is undoubtedly going to be nominated for an Oscar and probably this movie for at least screenplay. But I'm happy to be covering this, the diversity uh, selection oh for, for possibly Best Picture. <laughs> so awful that you even said that. <laughs> is it a diversity pick for or whatever movies? Yeah, I just really think we need to hear and pay attention to black voices these days. So this is and so so this is not one of those <laughs> movies like Friday, the review for which we have not yet released. Maybe that would be a good companion for American fiction. Oh man, we always try and like get down with the 
and we and we we, <laughs> we invariably start talking about ho- how hood we also are. <laughs> so do we? So in American fiction, do we talk about how whitewashed we are? I'm a little bit concerned. So this movie is about the idea of diversity and how absurd that is, and how because this is a diverse novel, meaning not the typical white Bostonian novelist or whatever, that it's good, it's better, it's poignant, it's timely, it's necessary, that kind of stuff, right? right? And I was like, well, for a movie that that is so aware of diversity, there is not a single Asian in this movie. What's up with that? And then Asian LaCroix dude showed up later, and I was like, there he is. (laughs) Wait, Asian LaCroix? Oh, the PA. The PA to hot Adam They had an Asian in there, and I think that was... I think that was exactly deliberate. Why does Adam Brody always get cast for these douchebag roles? He's a douchebag. And in no. this particular case, it's because he's a white-facing douchebag. Hey, what is flat white coffee? She ordered it. Uh, Rosamund Pike ordered it in Saltburn. Yeah. And then uh, here again. Is that is that a thing that I don't know? Is it like French tips for manicures? I think it's espresso, but not as much as a latte. Uh, okay. So boring white people coffee? Pretentious Euro-esque coffee. Every white person in this movie was super white. I mean, it seemed like every single one from get the fuck out of here, Philip, the dude on the beach was a pain in the ass white dude. And the the producer, the publishers that when he wants to change the title, they're like an SNL parody of white publishers. Are you saying that they're painfully white because they're like pasty and literally white skinned, light skinned or because they're douchebags? And completely insensitive pricks. Well, are they? Were the two publishers? Obviously, they were self-interested in looking to make money off the publishing of what they felt was a very high, hot property. But were they condescending or racist or anything like I that? I mean, fuck you, Phil was, wasn't he? Yeah, well, that guy was, but he was he was just a, a jerk. I mean, you can see, like, when that guy was on the beach, I was like, he ha- if, I, if that were me, I would walk behind them against the retaining wall or get the hell out of there. You don't interrupt a family ceremony like that. It's what a jerk. I know, but they obviously had history. I do think it was it was clearly aware of race on both sides. But okay, because it's a satire? It didn't rub me the wrong way. I just thought, man, this movie is going to... I, I didn't know if this movie, which I guess one would consider a black film by by black filmmakers about black themes and with black people in it, if that was meant to be poking a little bit of fun at people of other nationalities other than black. But it's a different meta kind of fun. It wasn't like white people are stupid and black people are cool. It was that white people like you people, that movie with Eddie Murphy and Jonah Hill are trying really hard to be cool and to, you know, revel in the experience of what they consider to be authentic and raw, which is really just kind of foreign to them and embrace it overly, uh, over eagerly. So Issa Rae's character, Sintara, she is aware that she's capitalizing off of what readers, white readers maybe want. And she herself seemed to know who she was. She wasn't pretending that she was her character's voice whereas right is it she said is it bad to cater to their tastes which i thought was strange because she took such umbrage when he suggested that his novel and her novel were essentially the same thing it's so dicey what i'm trying to get at here is there is a interracial friction about black people who act white or who are whitewashed right this is a thing that is this the thing 
Well, there is that that affectation in, in the same way that certainly there are white people or non-black people who embrace black culture. But was that I don't think that was anywhere near the case with Monk. Um, I just think he was an older black guy who wasn't who was a little bit out of touch with popular culture, um, was more erudite and serious. Um, one might say pretentious about his own writing. But that you can I think one can easily point to. Now, Jeffrey Wright as an actor seems, uh, you know, very not to say that <laughs> that popular black people aren't cultured or studied. He 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 seems. <laughs> how do you, he? Jeffrey Wright feels to me like Monk, and all the roles I've seen him in, I guess, have been him acting sort of white, or at least not acting black in the way that Issa Rae's character, what's her name, Salamanca, Sintara. Santana. That she writes her characters or the parodies that he wrote in, in I was going to say black, in fuck. It, it seemed authentic because I think that's kind of how Jeffrey Wright is. Well, he's a, he grew up in a family with educated parents. Like, who's the wall-eyed guy that we just talked about? Paul Giamatti. I did think that this was in a way, hold no, it was more like a black sideways Mostly because they were drinking a bunch of wine, and he felt himself like a serious person, a theory, like an academic on a subject, and then he was just surrounded by nonsense. Right, and both of them cast probably because they understand from their family of origin and real life experience what it's like. Jeffrey Wright's parents were lawyers, I think, or at least his mom was a lawyer. I think he grew up with his mom after his dad died, raised in D.C. So, like, he understands how to navigate this world. Like, like Paul Giamatti knows how to navigate the world of academia because of how he grew up. And so Jeffrey Wright maybe was a <laughs> obvious casting choice, but maybe he's great as Monk just because he's Jeffrey Wright. I do like him very much, and I do love Paul Giamatti very much. But I said about the holdovers that his character of Hunnam was so Paul Giamatti that it was almost like not acting. I cannot say quite the same, but Jeffrey Wright fit right in for this in terms of playing this type of character because it's how I typically associate him. Oh, he was just playing Jeffrey Wright. So much so that when he played Stag R. Lee, <laughs> that's where I think the accolades come from. When he played him so, so kind of serious and stiff like and defensive, but also like you could tell he was keenly aware and his gears were working the entire time. <laughs> oh man, I laughed 10 times more during this movie than I did during the holdovers. Yeah, he's stiff because you think he's tough, but he's just stiff because he's scared <laughs> and he has no idea kind of what he's doing. I love that he was like, I told you to dress thug. And he was like, I am. He's wearing like a t-shirt and jeans. Uh. It was great. It was great to watch and it was really funny and and, and aware in that way. So is it, are are the filmmakers telling a stereotypically different black experience story by focusing on a family of all doctors with seaside villas who drink wine Mm. and write books? Look, I'm not sure this one works. And I cannot help but think that every single step that this movie makes towards 
finding a certain audience by marketing the trailer as sort of a wacky comedy in a way, a self-aware meta self-referential kind of thing, a, a, a neo-black movie, I guess. That sounds so dumb. Wow. You know what I mean? It's, it's like a movie that's a black movie that's different, that's could be considered for Academy Academy Awards, whereas everyone was like, well, why didn't you nominate Straight Outta Compton? Because it wasn't a particularly good movie. And it's, it's the kind of movie that Monk was mocking in a way, even if it was a real story. This seems like it, it checks a lot of boxes that aren't conventional for films. Oh, God, I have to stop talking. Wow. <laughs> It's really it's it's seriously dangerous because this movie is it, you can't I can't even say it's a black sheep. It's unfortunate. Wow. How as a reviewer do we discuss American fiction? All I'm going to do in this whole review is just say, "Wow." <laughs> wow, as I bury myself. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know how else American fiction is like the holdovers? How's that? Both movies, somebody says, Christ on a crutch. I've never heard this expression. And the fact that it can be used across cultural experiences seems like it yeah. makes it a pretty versatile expression that I've never heard before. Um. <laughs> and I looked it up and I still don't understand what it means. It's something akin to shit on a stick. Shit on toast. What does that mean? I think that was a Stephen Kingism. So can we just jump right to the end? Uh, sure. Let me make sure I got it right first. The scene at the awards ceremony is indeed what happened, at least up to the point where they cut to Monk talking with Adam Brody on the set of the on the film set. Right. No, I don't know. I know that the driving off the studio lot when he was making the movie with his brother was the real ending. And, and it was like typical high crane shot, you know, wide of the entire studio back lot or whatever. And then the car driving off, it was seemed like a very typical film ending. But other than that, the the sort of reworking Rashomon, again, unbearable weight of massive talent style ending that was ambiguous because it was the movie version of that story being told. I have no idea what happened. Did his book really win and he went up on stage at all? I'm not really sure. So I thought that's what happened until at least he gets up to the stage or, or he, yeah. he slams to black. And yes, and slams to black, which made it feel very ending interruptus. But he, yes. but he, the whole idea that he goes and he apologizes and assume, and presumably makes up with his girlfriend, that does not happen. In fact, in real life, we know where that relationship, we leave that relationship at, she hasn't called me back yet. That's correct. She says to leave. He texts her about being the day, his date to the ceremony. Uh, she left him on red. Gotcha. As the kids say these days. And then... Oh, <laughs> uh, those horrible bubbles of, of uh, rejection. Oh, man. And then we know that in the future movie of the life of Stag Arlie, that he will get shot. In the in the fictional <laughs> movie version, right? That they, they settled on Because that's on the that? version that Adam Brody embraced, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which was the meta-ist of all meta-references in this movie because he's referencing the fictional ending of his fictional book that he wrote as a fictional character within his within the story of his own life yes yes but i believe this movie is working on multiple levels i think at the same time it's it's its own awards bait in that it defies every turn for what's supposed to be a black movie by not doing those tropes by pointing out the absurdity of him writing a stereotypical black novel in or a trendy black novel in what a couple of days 
how long did it take him to write that book? Because he's like, well, she's like, we should hang out. And then he's like, I'm going to write this book. And he writes it. And then they're like hanging out a couple of days later. But then she says, I read another one of your books. So maybe they had gone on a couple dates, but I'm he wrote that best-selling runaway novel in like less than a week. And then sold the movie rights for right. millions and millions of dollars. And so look. I was like, okay, this movie is, as you said, kind of a slow burn. And then I got to a point where I was like, all right, something has got to happen. Nothing is happening. Oh, she's dead. And the sister died all of a sudden. And I was like, man, now we're like, we're getting somewhere. But it was the first of many tragedies in quick succession. Uh, you know, some, some more tragic than others. But it really took a while to get into gear. But I do think it was engineered to be closer to what we expected a movie to be in a weird way. Does it make sense? It took on a, a a much more fictional air in order to be about something. Was it engineered to leave us feeling unsatisfied or unsettled about the story? Yeah, the mom was never resolved. The the brother found some resolve, but the sister died. There was no happy ending. It's why it felt like a Paul Giamatti film, because he was just sort of hapless and didn't get the girl. Does that make it a serious film? Was it engineered to be a serious film in this way? I think it was. It it held enough in check so that the humor was, we you know, we laughed along in a safe way. And the only problem is it raises real questions about what we can find funny as opposed to being offended by it. Like Monk was like, get over it, Brittany, when Brittany got all pissed at the idea of the N-word being written on the board and, and like huffed out of the classroom. This was a safe enough movie that nothing of real consequence happened because, uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's tough to understand what was real and what wasn't within the scope of this film. Okay, that was the ending. So then let's talk about how this movie works on a story level. I thought it was very interesting that all the humor comes from the satire and the parody and just the ridiculous lengths that people go to both on both sides, the the length that Monk will go to to play out his ruse and the lengths that these guilty white promoters will go to to assuage their guilt by validating a piece of quote unquote black fiction. And so that's happening. But also it's happening on top of what is essentially a family drama or tragedy. Yeah, it was near a horror film. For those elements. <laughs> I mean, this is a family who's enduring incredible tragedy. Right. Because someone is either dying or has died. Right. Basically, all the while dredging up stuff about their dad and enduring the day to day life, which isn't so simple either. And Alzheimer's. This was an Alzheimer's movie. Yeah. It is not a new concept, but this one handled it in a way with a little bit of levity in a way that I felt was satisfying, despite the fact that there wasn't a lot of satisfactory resolves in this movie there. And so the lingering horror is what is what sat with me like at fifty nine hundred dollars a month for the cheap shared room. You and I need to start saving, man, because I did feel very keenly 
the precipitous drop in, in the health of, of one's parents, you know, mm -hmm. and how that uproots their lives. Uh, the direct writer, director, and as well as Jeffrey Wright cited some of these same things about moving back home to care for parents. Jeffrey Wright's mother who raised him having died less than a year before he received this script. Mm -hmm. Very real, man. And so some of the more fictionalized, stylized elements of American fiction were all grounded in really real, disconcerting uh, sort of things. I think I was surprised and a little thrown off by how kind of serious the family drama this was and how and really how the family drama and specifically Alzheimer's decline is what is what drives the film. It's one of two main through lines for the film. It, it makes it, I think, more rounded, more human, more real in a way, because it wasn't all that thing as much as it wasn't the centerpiece of the movie. It was always on in the background. Like we didn't need the Lorraine getting married, but I was over the moon happy for her. Aww. And for, what was his name? Maynard? Maynard. I was super happy for Lorraine and Maynard. Aww. Like, she's like, I'm getting married in the middle of everything they're dealing with. And I was like, yay! <laughs> it felt good and rounded and, and heartwarming in, in a weird kind of way. For a surly grouchy dude like like monk who who doesn't necessarily get everything he wants even while he's undergoing a fantastic run of luck with his publishing um but maybe that was it was all justified in him cheating the system in a way because the money that he was so reluctant to take was absolutely necessary. As an author with four books at least under his belt and his brother who is a plastic surgeon, they were still struggling to find full-time care for their mom. Well, you know, those divorces really take it out of you. <sighs> but it's true. And the uh, financial care for the elderly or the aging is, for, is real, for sure. I think there were some story mechanics at play you know, giving him a motivation to try and move some books and make some money. But he had no motivation or no excuse for how he treated his girlfriend. I totally get that his little ruse got out of hand, but why couldn't he tell her? And why do you have to be so mean to her? Did you not think that because of the placement of Issa Rae's character, that she would play up so prominent a role that he might see that because his book helped his life, enabled his mother to find real care, that he would find kinship to the person that he reviled or, or, or was resentful of at the outset for cheapening the black experience. Did you not think that he and the Issa Rae character could possibly get together? Mm, I think it would have been weird if they hooked up. I didn't feel like there was chemistry there, but there was a kinship for sure. And I think that could have been further explored. And at the same, there could have been at least a moment where they found, they untangled, you know, all of their association and found a connection as black authors who were striving for legitimacy, but who ended up going a more populist sort of route. And so when it comes to Monk and his girlfriend, I do think that he was looking to make a connection with someone who understood and identified with his philosophy, with his idea that there's seriousness in the world that has nothing to do with what white people ostensibly regard as a typical black experience. And when she was like, no, I liked it, it discredited her in his mind as a person who liked his books too and was interested in him what what does it say about her taste that she fell in line with everybody else uh, when she read that book 
And I think it really hurt him in a way that was, it wasn't fair, but I did understand how he thought he was making a connection in spite of everything that he felt was going wrong in his world to be like, I thought you were real. I, I think that he really wanted someone that he could connect with on the real level that he was trying to maintain in his own life. And when she wasn't that, he was a jerk about it. It's not okay, but I understood it. And thus was not overly pained when she left him on red. So I think we agree. He didn't have to be quite so mean to her. He's kind of a jerk to his siblings too, but in a way that any sibling worth their salt can bear. Was there some level of truth to the mother saying, you're genius and geniuses simply cannot relate to everyone? Yes, except he wasn't talking. She wasn't talking to him. She was talking to his younger brother. Well, no, she said about your dad. Your your dad was a genius and you are too. And that's why you can't relate. Yeah. And then at the end of the conversation, she's like, oh, right. You, Cliff. She's like, you yeah, know. She said Cliffy. You're... I wrote that down. And I was like, why did she call him Cliffy? She called him Cliffy. Was, Cliff... because... <laughs> was Cliffy the gay brother's name? Yes. She thought oh, she was talking to Cliffy the whole time. That's why it was so crushing. To, Ooh, that's why it was so crushing man. to Monk. She, so Thelonious Monk. Thelonious Monk's middle name was, or maybe the name he adopted, was Sphere. And so I thought I thought it was Cliff, and that's why you called him Cliffy, like to further connect, you know, connect him to Thelonious Monk. But that wasn't the case. Anyway, that's the thing about dementia and all Alzheimer's, man. That hurts. <sighs> Yeah. You like don't remember stuff and you start start thinking people are other people or that they're children or that they're old or whatever. It's sad, 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 sad yeah. stuff. So <laughs> when it comes down to it, what do we take from American fiction? You can take a, a real seeming family story that had some weight and impact along with the parody and the, the meta-ness that comes with movies that are really, really self-aware and demonstrate that on screen, which are always good. There was some real wisdom in there. Enemies see better than friends. I liked all that stuff. What is it bad that I took a little bit of hope from this idea that the dumber I behave, the richer I get, that you don't need to be stuffy and ultra dedicated Apparently, you can write a bestseller in a week and change your entire life. And it doesn't have to be authentic or pretentious or any of that stuff. That you can cater to a populist opinion and find some satisfaction, like the Issa Rae character did, in slumming it a little bit. Oof. I think this is the the writer's fiction version of the story that you're taking from it. That's a, like, a, like a writer's fallacy? I mean, listen, maybe uh, if you tap into a zeitgeist... If you, you know, there's there's a little bit of context and timing to it. Um, sure. But I think you can't count on that. Well, Dan Brown wrote sensationalist novels and all the serious people and historians are like, this is junk. And then they made the Da Vinci Code and like Tom Hanks is in it and stuff. It's going to be one of the most prestigious movie. And then it really wasn't. And then the better Da Vinci Code movie came out called National Treasure. And it was exactly what people wanted. But aren't they creating Da Vinci Code World at uh, Universal Studios? Dude, this is the first I've heard of this. Da Vinci Code being what, at least 15 years old already? <laughs> That's going to be right More next to that. Westworld. Cool. But whatever. The point is, Dan Brown is he did a thing and, and I'm not sure how studied or art historian he is, but he made art history cool, like Indiana Jones made archaeology cool. And uh, like Cord Jefferson makes 
writing cool. So here are the IMDb user reviews. Are you ready? Yeah. Seven stars. TIFF's People Choice Award winner? So Toronto, apparently Jeffrey Wright was like, I'm going to take a backseat to this project and let Cord take the hit because he's going to be out front and doing Q's and A's and stuff. And then he heard that there was a long line around the block. And, and then it won the Audience Award at Toronto at the film festival. And he was pretty happy about that. Um, I wouldn't say that this movie is slumming. It doesn't have any reason to be ashamed of itself. And people, you know, it was an audience favorite. And I found a considerable amount of delight in this movie that I was surprised to find because I thought this was going to be the dour trying to be serious one. And I thought the holdovers was going to be more fun and zany. Seven stars. The film explores the dilemma of making entertainment that criticizes it as it can easily fall prey to its own pitfalls. How many words is that? Because that seems pretty concise and pretty spot on. It's a dangerous movie. It's like, can you drown in a ball pit? Can you suffocate? It seems like it's safe, but talking about it is somehow difficult. Hmm. Last one, eight stars. Intelligent, compassionate, entertaining. Yeah, but I think that's limiting it. Lots of movies are intelligent, compassionate, entertaining. But this one is subversive and... Raw. Yeah, I guess so. But not in the way that fuck was supposed to be. It's not it's not like that. It, I think this is a movie that can be seriously appreciated, if not for the performances or for the heartwarming themes that are buried in there from the uh, filmmaking approach and the, the layered writing that I found a lot, a lot to appreciate in this movie. Eight is good, but it's not great. It's an all right rating kind of movie. I called it Monk in the Middle. Just because nothing was happening, but good things were happening still at the same time. It doesn't really commit to a, a particular genre, and in that way it's original. While having a Frankenstein-like assembly of all a lot of other different movies of its kind. But the key distinction is that this one works. Where some other movies that feel familiar and thus feel good aren't as good. Monk in the Middle works for me because it feels at the same time profound and yet forgettable. Yeah. Uh, well... Uh, once you go through the family stuff and if you don't adore these characters because they're not wacky or zany enough, then it is a family drama. And how much does that bear repeat viewing? And so is that your official all right rating? It's definitely an all right movie. Um, I feel like it would be pandering to say that this is the totally movie and the breakthrough movie that we've been looking for and that black representation should lean on this year at the Academy Awards. I don't think that that's the case. I think it's a little bit too aware, but it was fun where it needed to be moving where it needed to be and all around well-crafted in what I consider to be the most important thing, a satisfying way. I'm glad I watched American Fiction. Terrible title. And that's our discussion on American fiction, a film from 2023, available in theaters. And I also, I don't have white guilt, so. Not at all. Just writers' fantasies. What did you think? 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com. How you contact us. We hope that you are enjoying this award season. We have many more awards contenders coming up here at orwhatevermovies.com or wherever you get podcasts. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one -on -one with a band who has released new music. 
You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.